And as we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the Galatians, we are reminded of what Paul has been telling them, where Paul has been proclaiming to them, it is that amazing grace that has been setting you free. That, that you, you can't do enough, you, you can't work enough to uh, receive salvation, but it is only through Jesus Christ. And as we talked about last week, that through Jesus Christ, everything changes. Everything shifts. And as we talked about last week, it doesn't mean that our actions don't change and reflect that salvation. As a matter of fact, when Jesus enters into our heart, it should change our actions and the way we act and interact with people. But I'm also reminded of, of a quote that Gandhi once said where he said, hey, I love your Christ, but not so much on your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And that makes me wrestle in my own heart and in my own mind. Why is it? Why is it that other people struggle to see Christ in us. Why is it that we find ourselves to continually go back to the ways of this world, to continue to look like the world, to continually look like those things that we press against? And, I, and I've come to realize something. We have developed a spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. And if you don't know what Stockholm Syndrome is, it's Stockholm Syndrome is this syndrome that has been discovered where a person will start to feel trust or affection towards one that, kidna that kidnaps them or holds them hostage or enslaves them. They start to, to look after them and care for them. And the symptoms are this love or empathy towards their captor, but negative feelings towards those that push against what you see in cults it's what you see so often if you go and research it because you're a weirdo like I am you'll see stories of where people get kidnapped and then all of a sudden they start going and robbing banks with their captors and protecting them and I think we've developed this type of Stockholm syndrome where we find ourselves going you know what I've been set free by God's grace Oh, but the ways of this world seem so enticing. Can I just go back? And Paul, in his letter, is going to address that today as we start in verse 8. And as we kind of walk through these verses, I'm going to stop every now and then and just interject as to what's going on. But it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or, or rather that you are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Paul's reminding them there was a point in your life where you did not know Jesus. You didn't. 
But he says, but now you know Jesus, and you're not only, you not only know Jesus, but you are known by Christ. And that is a beautiful message. That not only do you know who Jesus is, but Jesus proclaims, I know you. Because as scripture proclaims, God knit you together in your mother's womb. God knows the number of hairs on your head, which for some of us is easier than others. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there before somebody else can throw it at me. But he's, he's reminding them there was a moment where you didn't know Jesus, but guess what? Jesus still loved you. God still cared for you. And he's reminding them of this because what he's trying to point them to is it should cause them to be more gracious to those who do not know Jesus Christ. He's trying to point out that, that there was this moment where you, you didn't know Jesus, but now you do, and now you're known by Jesus, so it should change the things that you do, but it hasn't changed anything about you, apparently. And then he says at the end, I fear for you that I have wasted my time and efforts. Because you walk away and go, yeah, Paul, that sounds real nice, but it doesn't change anything. He says, don't forget that. Don't forget that moment that Jesus loved you when you were unlovable. And so therefore, if we are called to be followers of Christ, we are called to love the unlovable. Love those that do not know. Forgive and be gracious unto all people. He goes on and he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. And Paul's reminding them of, in Wesleyan tradition, a term that we would call prevenient grace. That, that before you even knew you needed it, God extended grace to you. That God was at work in your life before you ever knew who God was. And that's good news. And, when, and he reminds them, by, because Paul's a good preacher, he uses an illustration. He says, hey, y'all remember how I came to you? I, I, was, I was sick, and that's what led me here. But because that's what led me here, God was even using that moment for me to now be able to preach the gospel. And, he, and he's showing them that even in the darkest moments, guess what? God's at work. Even when it seems hopeless, guess what? God is our hope. And some of us sit here and go, oh, well, it's all over, so let's just give up. And God goes, no, I'm at work even now. I am moving even when you don't see it. I am shifting and changing hearts even when you don't see it, even when it's not going the way you want it to go. Because guess what? 
My ways are greater than your ways. And so just because it's not going how you want it to go, maybe that's where God's trying to shift your heart and going, hey, this is my way. I'm God, not you. Stop trying to go back to that old way where you say, I've got it figured out. I know what we're supposed to do. I know what defines a follower. But listen to Christ. What a novel idea. To take a step back and say, God, when I didn't even know you, you weren't working my life, and you're still working in my life. Because if anybody here thinks they have achieved perfection, I'm going to knock you off your pedestal real quick. You have not. God is still working in your life. And here's the thing. That's actually good news. It may not sound like it, but it is. And so Paul goes on. And he says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? And I just want to pause right there for a moment because a lot of people, if you look at commentaries, will pick apart that verse and go, all we have to do is give them the truth. Give them the truth. Beat them over the head with the truth. But when we look at Scripture, Jesus said, I came with grace and truth. It's not just about speaking the truth to this world, but it's about doing so in a gracious manner that needs to be done. That nobody has ever, ever, ever heard it when you just holler at them and tell them what they are doing wrong. But when you care about them and extend grace unto people, it's amazing how much more willing they are to listen and hear. And then he goes on and starts attacking the leaders of the Galatian church in all honesty. He says, those people, they're zealous to win you over. But for no good, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous. Provide the purpose is good. And to be so always, and not just when I am with you, my dear children. For whom I am again and the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. And I love this last line. He says, because I'm perplexed by you. <laughs> he looks at me and he goes, I just don't get you. I don't understand. But what he's pointing at in this text is that there are leaders in Galatia that are trying to lead people astray with false teachings, with misunderstandings, with half-truths. And the way they're doing this is by telling them exactly what they want to hear so that they'll go, that's what I needed to hear, so I'm going to follow that. And then as they continue to follow that, they find themselves out of line with where it is that Jesus Christ is calling them to be. He says, they're just trying to make you feel good about what you already think you know, and so that what will happen? All of a sudden, you'll start bolstering them up. Oh, preacher, that was such a good sermon. 
Oh, preacher, yeah, the world needs to hear that. And then all of a sudden, the people will start to follow. Why? Not because they're preaching truth, but because they're preaching what people want to hear. And people, when they feel good, they'll keep coming. Let's just be honest. We talk about all the vices in our world. There's a reason that they're still around. Because when people feel good, they will keep coming. This is how addiction works, right? And so we find ourselves addicted to feeling good. And we find ourselves as people sitting in a crowd wanting a speaker to make us feel good. But I want to remind you, over and over again, Jesus steps on toes. Over and over again, Jesus says, I know what you think, I know what you've heard said, but I say unto you. And we find ourselves in a world where there's multiple teachers giving multiple lessons, and we might find ourselves asking the question, how do I discern the true teacher and the false teacher? And it's difficult, if I'm honest. But I've come with one question that kind of helps me to discern, if you will. When I listen to their teachings, does it point me to a particular person, group, idea, or agenda? Or does it point me to Jesus Christ? Because I'll be honest with you, I hear a lot, a lot, a lot of preachers, and I've been guilty of it myself, and I have prayed prayed for God's grace in these moments where we find ourselves looking for scripture to support what we already want and already think as opposed to going, all right, God, what are you saying here? I was sharing with a friend of mine, one of the beauties of walking through this letter verse by verse is this. I don't get to hide behind, oh, we all know what he has said because we've gone through what he has said. We see what is actually being laid out in the text. I don't get to use the text as my own sword, but I have to allow the text to be a sword that separates my own wants and desires from my heart. And this is the idea that Paul is addressing here. These leaders are trying to promote you, to make you feel good, so that you'll bolster them up, and then people will go, oh, look at them. That's what Christianity is all about. And you lose sight of, no, that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ, who loved you and extended grace, even when you weren't worthy of it. The example is not some preacher or some speaker or even some bishop, but it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if we lose sight of that, we've lost sight of everything. And so we follow the example of Jesus. And we're reminded of the blessings that Jesus has given us. I love that that's what, what Paul does in this letter after he just chastises them for about seven verses. He then looks at them and reminds them, hey, even when you weren't worthy, God was at work in blessing you. Because here's what we need to realize. God is moving even now. Even if you don't see it, realize it, or feel it, God is at work. Even if it's not what you desire, God is at work. John Piper, world-renowned preacher, puts it this way. He says, God is doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. 
you may be aware of three of them. And this is good news. This is good news that even when we can't see or hear or understand it, God is at work. God's moving. God doesn't take days off. And so when we lose sight of this, we can find ourselves focusing on what makes us feel good because we've lost sight of the blessings that have already been bestowed upon us. We can find ourselves following our own wants and desires instead of going, you know what, God? As we've already prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And we find ourselves losing sight of how God has already blessed us so much. I keep coming back to this question of just wrestling with why is it that we turn back to, as Paul refers to them, the weak and worthless ways of this world? And I can only come up with one real answer, and it's this, because we don't deem them as weak and worthless. We give them more power than they, are, than they should be given. We have not fallen in love with something greater. We don't believe that Jesus Christ can overcome whatever we're facing. So what do we do? We cater back to the ways of this world because we see it and we can understand it and we can wrap our minds around it. And when we can't wrap our minds around God, we say, all right, then that doesn't exist. Plain and simple. And I know this because I've done it myself. I've been there before where you find yourself going, God, I don't, I don't know if you can do anything with this. I don't know, God. I found myself on my knees in my own bedroom going, God, I've made a mess of my life and I don't know if you can do anything with it. I don't think you can. I think I'm beyond grace. And God goes, oh, just sit back and watch. And sometimes I think we need to take a step back and stop giving the ways of this world, our struggles and our issues, so much power. And just for a minute, listen to God. Trust in God. Have faith that even when we don't know it, guess what? God's at work. Because here's what happens when we start facing trials in our own lives. In our trials... We put God on trial. We put God on trial during stuff that we wrestle with. God, how'd you let this happen? God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And, and, and later on in the letter, and actually we're going to talk about it next week, when Paul starts talking about Sarah and Abraham, here's the thing. God's faithfulness should never be on trial because God is faithful even when we are not and so here's the thing that we may need to take a step back and look at is if things aren't going how we drew them up or how we desired, we may need to start asking the question, am I seeking my own wants and desires or God, am I seeking yours first? Because it can become real easy in this world to play the comparison game. God, how come they have more than I do? God, how come I prayed for it and didn't get it, but they did? God, where are you in all of this? And we find ourselves wrestling. But I've come to realize that what Paul is pointing to in this and what we all need to be reminded of is this. That one way to return to and to draw others back to God's grace is this. Remind them of God's blessings in their lives. 
Or, for some people, go out and be a blessing to them. We, there, there are people that go, I, I don't know that God's even at work anymore. Maybe it's because we as Christians have become so overwhelmed by our own issues that we have stopped being a blessing and stopped being the church in this world because we're too busy turned inward and bickering at one another instead of going out and showing God's grace to God's creation. So count your blessings. I challenge you at some point this week to just take a moment and start listing those blessings of how God has blessed you throughout your life. And if you've got enough time, I invite you to keep listing them. And if you can't think of one, then I invite you to spend time in prayer. As a matter of fact, if you can't think of one, I just want everybody to join me in a brief moment and do this. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. The fact that you're able to sit here and take a breath is a blessing from your Lord and Savior. It's a blessing. And so count your blessings. As a matter of fact, there's an old song that I grew up knowing. And it says, when upon life's billows you are a tempest tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost. Anybody? Feel that way? Anybody feel that way? Here's the words from the hymn. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Verse number two says, Are you, are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Anybody feel that way? God, why is this my cross to bear? I'm a, little, I'm a little overwhelmed here, God. Count your blessings. Every doubt will fly, and you will keep singing as the days go by. When you think, or when you look rather, at others, their lands and their gold, and you think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold, when you find yourself looking at people going, why do they have so much more than I do? Because I've been faithful, God. Where are you? Count your blessings. Wealth can never buy your reward in heaven nor your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged because, here's the good news, God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you till your journey's end. Here's the thing. We can find ourselves so overwhelmed by the ways of this world that we think that God has left and abandoned us, so we return to the ways of this world. And in those moments, I challenge you. Count your blessings. Be reminded of those ways that God has moved and is moving in your life. And not only be reminded of them, but proclaim them. Because sometimes we just find ourselves going, yeah, God's blessed me. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. We find ourselves ashamed of how God has blessed us. And here's the thing, that when we start to proclaim how God has blessed us, other people start going, well, wait a minute, how has God blessed me? And they start thinking about it. And here's the other thing. If God has blessed you, use that to bless other people. 
Don't hoard it. Don't hold on to it and say, oh, this is my blessing. Nobody else gets it. Nobody. It's kind of like when my mom would come home with like my favorite cereal and I'd like go hide it in my bedroom because I didn't want my brother to eat any of it. And it's like, no, that's not how this works. You've been blessed with something you did not deserve. So what do you do? You share it with others who probably don't deserve it either. But that's okay because that's how God's grace works. We've become so overwhelmed in this world that we lose sight of God's faithfulness. We lose sight of God's grace. We lose sight of God's salvation. We find ourselves in a, in a spiritual Stockholm syndrome wanting to return back to those ways that enslaved us, return back to those ways of judgment and hate and ego of the world because it's what we know and understand. And God says, oh, but I called you to something so much greater. So count your blessings. Name them one by one. And you will be amazed at what God has done.